fellow travelers, and welcome to the Unbroken Ground. Thank you for listening, uh, whether this is your first time or your 27th time as we embark on our 27th episode. Uh, I'm so glad that you've joined us. Uh, if you do have any uh, comments or questions or anything like that, you can always find us on Facebook. Find me, Paul, at uh, Facebook forward slash The Unbroken Ground. Uh, you can email at Facebook. Uh, you can email at The Unbroken Ground at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at The Unbroken Ground. Uh, there's some underscores in there, but if you search for it, uh, you'll find it. And yeah, so this is episode 27. We're going to be talking about unity still. Uh, it's just one of those things that's been kind of in my brain. And uh, also just one of the things that God just kind of opened my eyes to something this week and uh, just going to continue to discuss that just off the top of my head, just thinking through um, church and unity and, and what that looks like. Uh, the title of the episode is going to be, Did You Bring a Sword? And uh, it's going to reference some words by Jesus and uh, the, the idea of what does it mean to be unified. So uh, yeah, that's, what's, that's what we're going to talk about this week. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So I've been talking about unity, and one of the things that I've been thinking about is the idea of of uniformity versus unity. Um, So the idea that you can create a system, a culture, a, um, a way to have everybody seem like they are the same uh, so maybe wear like uniforms or, or we all wear the same type of clothes or, or we all have the same type of leaves and nobody nobody can deviate from that and that's one of the ways that you you create this uh, picture of unity without actually having to have any unity uh, so you can have uniformity and uh, you can you can uh, you can bring that about in lots of different ways without actually having to have unity. You can just say um, that we all agree, um, and anybody who doesn't agree um, doesn't fit. You're out. And I think that is one of the reasons that uh, most churches, most churches in their culture, they just seem to settle into a. a a desire for uniformity over unity, because unity is, is is very it's very multifaceted. It's very rich. It's it's more difficult. It requires more effort. Uh, it requires more um, intentionality, and it and it um, and it can be hard. Uh, and so uniformity is easier because you can just make up the rules. You can just decide what the rules are. And, and if you decide what the rules are, then you make it very clear. These people are in because they follow the rules. And if they don't follow the rules, if they don't think the same way you think, well, then they're out because they don't follow the rules. And so we, one of the ways that we enforce this is um, by ostracizing the people who are part of that group. So if, the, if you want to stay in the group, if you want to stay in the community, then you learn how to be uniform, how you learn how to fit into that uniformity, because if you go outside of that, then you get uh, rejected by the group and you get kicked out. Uh, and, um, and it's easy to establish because you can just establish an authority. So here are the rules. Um, and the way that churches do this um, so effectively is that they they establish the rules and they say, this is what God says. This is what God says. And so um, when I was growing up, um, I 
of course, grew up in the South. I've talked a little bit about this. And they were, there were just clear rules, clear moral rules that, that were set up um, that were not necessarily true uh, readings of Scripture. So, for example, uh, growing up, I thought that drinking alcohol was, was a, uh, just drinking alcohol was a sin and that anybody who would drink alcohol, um, I just had a, a very uh, difficult time with their heart about their commitment to Jesus. Uh, I, I was, I've, I myself have never actually had a drink of alcohol. And so I, that was something that was ingrained for me. My, my parents did not do that. Uh, and so it was just this thing that if you were a Christian, one of the ways you showed that you were a good Christian, one of the ways that you were uniform in our, in, in our church culture that I was a part of was you didn't drink. And, and those that did, uh, found that they didn't have a place inside of the church culture. And, and one of the things that, that um, is very tough and rough about that is that the church is the place that people see as holding the keys to heaven or, the, or salvation or the answers to life, um, and yet they find that they, they, there's something that's about them that that they then can't be a part of this church, and so they, they find themselves outside, they find themselves kicked out, they find themselves uh, distanced from, they, they, they've disciplined all of those things, and, and it's like, if you want to be a part of church, which is um, wrongly often considered, like, here's how I access God, or, or here's a community that's trying to, to, to follow God or be who God wants us to be, you can't be a part because of that, of that community because of... Um, you're the thing that you do that doesn't fit. Um, now, there are certainly certain things, um, and I think every church has to, and every every Christian has to come to those points where there are certain things where we go, well, there are some things that God's like, nope, you, you can't um, have that and be a part of this organization. You can't and, and be fully engaged in this community. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, but I think, that list is fairly small because I think that um, one of the things about the the Christian culture is that we know that God is the one who's in charge of changing people and he is calling people and he is constantly working in people's hearts. Um, but, but it's not always like a quick process. And, and I was just thinking about this morning in church, God just, I was, I was thinking about this idea that, um, as churches, one of the things that we know is true about what God does is that God is a God of life change. He's able to change your life. And that when you come into a relationship with him, you actually become a new creation and that there's actually change that occurs. But that change is is brought about by the Holy Spirit. It's not it's not brought about by us at all. Um, and so, as as a church, um, what we uh, because we can't see the the heart change um, just instantly because we can't see into somebody's spiritual condition and heart. Um, we can only judge by the things that they do. Then we then we create a set of um, list of this is now how you live. And if you don't live within that, then you get you get kicked, you get kicked out. You, you can't stay here. And, and it's like, oh, great, you got saved. Now you got to clean up your act. Um, and, and what's, what's hard about this is that it's true that God, that Jesus and God were both for like, yeah, we want you to be, um, 
more like us. We want you to become more like us. That's, that's the goal. All of life is to, is to know Jesus, become like him, and to make him known. That's the whole goal. And that's what God wants. But um, a lot of times, because we, because we as people only change when there's a pain point, we've actually, we've actually developed very well this idea that, hey, you're going to change or you, you can't stay. You can't belong. You can't be a part of us. You can't be a part of our fellowship if you haven't changed. And so it's kind of like get your life it's kind of like this idea, a culture that we create, that we that we that we bring, that says, "Hey, get get everything together, and then you can come be a part of this community." Or, and and this is another option that you can have, uh, get everything together, and then just be really good at faking it. Uh, f- if as long as you can make it uh, look like you're doing the things, and so you're following the rules, uniform, all that kind of stuff, um, that. That is that's good enough, right? That that's that's, um, and and also don't get caught not doing it. Like that's because if you do, then we've we've got to be like, well, you, we've, we're gonna have to have a discussion because uh, you you belong to this church. Now, that being said, this is a very mature topic because we have to have a very mature understanding of what needs to happen. And so what needs to happen is that if people are part of a fellowship, part of a church, part of that community, then they should be um, part of a discipleship program. They should be in a, that they should be there um, and they should be experiencing life change. Like God should be working in their hearts. But by and far, uh, across the board, especially as, if the, as my traditions and, and evangelistic traditions have, have developed, we are not great at the discipleship part because we have, we have, we have put all the focus on the production part and the salvation part. And so what we celebrate is big people, big numbers that come to church on a Sunday morning, uh, come see the show, um, and, and people being saved. Uh, and so numbers that we can say, well, we've, 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 we've seen salvation. Uh, and so in, in that sense, we, uh, have basically said we will reward, we'll celebrate those things. And so as, as a pastor, um, who's preaching on Sunday and that's all they're doing. I mean, imagine, imagine if, if you were trying to, um, teach someone something and the only time they ever heard about that topic, the only time they ever really gave a thought about what you were trying to tell them about was on one day a week for roughly 15 to 30 minutes. Now, some people go a little bit longer than that because, and some people can, uh, some people shouldn't. Uh, but, but that's all that you, that's all the time that you have. Try, imagine trying to meet, to, to create something that's, that's so far reaching as salvation or what God's doing in our lives, but you have 30 minutes a week. Um, and the person may or may not even think about what you said, um, once they leave the building. And so, um, that's, that's how we do a discipleship in a lot of places. That's, that's how people get, that's, that's where like, oh yeah, I, I've, I went, I, I heard the sermon, uh, I listened online, uh, wh- whatever it is I've done, I've box checked, moving on. And as, so as a church, what we've decided, um, because we, we, um, 
we have not done as good at what we should do, which is the discipleship part of that, um, we have decided that we will try to enforce uniformity, conformity, um, because then we know, at least it looks like we know, that people are following Jesus. And so they, so we say, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what your life will look like, and these are the things you will do, and these are the things you won't do, which again, there's some basis of and, and some good truth there. Um, I think there are things that that's true. And then I think Jesus says that that will will be known by uh, the fruit we produce. And so very much so, like Jesus is very much like, yeah, you're going to be known by what you do, the fruit you produce. However, I think that um, Jesus also made it a point to to especially with the uh, Pharisees to say, hey, you can't just make rules. People, people need something more than just a rule book, because if you have a rule book, then then you 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 risk you risk creating this this um, you risk creating this the mausoleum effect, right? You're whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And and so when you when you create a rule book or a a, a playbook or a guide to what it looks like to be a, a follower of Jesus, uh, and, and you start getting down to the very details, um, and, and you do that without helping people understand that this is a lifelong process, this discipleship, it's, it's about becoming, it's about um, moving forward, but also understanding that you're, you're probably going to uh, uh, have places that you're going to fail, and so you're not going to be able to, so you got to realize that. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just so much there. Um, so, um, we have, we had, so that's what, that, that, so that's what we create, have created, um, is, is like this in, in the, in the hopes of creating, uh, a church that reflects, um, a deeper walk with Jesus. We've created kind of the cliff notes of, Hey, here's, here's the rules. And we create a uniformity that says, do you agree to follow these rules? And if you agree to follow the rules, then we'll let you stay and you can be a part. And you probably can even make it on some of these committees. And as long as you don't, especially if you don't break some of the bigger rules, um, we probably won't even say anything to you. If you want to get involved, great. If you don't, great. Um, and, and, and if you want to grow, great. Um, and, and I think that one of the, that's just one of the things that we've done is we've said, instead of, of trusting that God is going to change people's hearts and minds, it's going to convict them of the sin that the Holy Spirit is actually going to do the work. And that, that as we bring people the, the, the truth of what the, the, the scriptures say, as we invite the Holy Spirit to be part of who we are and a part of their lives, that they will begin to become convicted and that they will decide how they want to live. Instead, we say, well, you, you need to get your life together. You need to get your act together. And when you do, then you can come and be a part of what we've got going on here. Uh, because if, if you don't, um, we're, we, we're not sure that we want you uh, carrying out the name of our church. Um, don't put our name, don't put, don't put out your Facebook post with our church name on there. Don't, you know, because we, we, you're not, you're not uniform with us. And so then you, you can't belong. Um, and, and that really, I think is the, is, is the whole thing behind, uh, like the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, this symbolic kicking out of of Saddleback, and now you know Elevation Church is leaving, and because it's it is the idea that 
the Holy Spirit should be the one conv- that's convicting on these things and that we should be able to work together. But instead, we've, we've, we've sought uniformity. And so what's happening is, is that we can't, that once, once you establish the uniformity, the rules, um, you can't let people in that are outside of that. And, and because you can't let people in that are outside of that, then you have to be a gatekeeper and you have to force people out. You have to be an authority that says, look, you either walk the line like we say you have to or you get kicked out. And, and it's a threat to keep the uniformity, uh, to keep. So, so, so other people go, oh, no, 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 we want to keep unity because these people aren't being unity with us. But they're like, yeah, we want to be with you in unity. We're just not going to be exactly like you. And, and um, when, you, when you sacrifice that for uniformity, um, you leave no room for people to be a part of you um, who aren't, that don't look exactly like carbon copies of you. And so then, because because there is a, uh, when, when you have unity, again, there is a harder, um, there's a harder choice you have to make because you have to think about um, the rules that you make and you go, okay, well, did I, am I understanding this correctly? Um, or, or maybe I've got some of this correctly, but I don't have it all correct. And instead we go, we, we double down um, because we're, we are afraid of not having something correct. Or we're afraid because again, we're talking about this idea of connecting with God and salvation and all those things. And so we, we, we're afraid of saying that we have questions and doubts and things that we just can't explain. Um, and so we, instead we, we go the other way and we say, no, we've got it figured out. And anybody outside of that, outside of our uniformity is not part of this. And, uh, and I think that's where, um, today's church struggles, um, because we really have left out the Holy Spirit on the guiding of the heart and to understand how God speaks and how God changes us and, and discipleship and all of those things, because we have, we have sought to become kind of like a, a mass production of uh, a, a business where we're just mass producing believers. Uh, and it's just not the way that it works. And um, so uh, we have uh, some, some serious struggles there. Um, but, um, Along those lines, uh, I was um, I, I was uh, looking at my Facebook page, and and I've uh, I've I have not been keeping up with putting up reels, although I'm going to start again sometime soon, hopefully, uh, to kind of uh, advertise the podcast. But there was a, a reel that I put up about I don't know three or four weeks ago, and uh, it was about loving your enemies and and how we live that out. And there was somebody, I don't know, maybe they, they sought it out. Maybe they're listening to this one today. And if you are, thanks. Uh, but there was somebody who replied to that reel and said, but also uh, to the, Jesus says, love your enemies. They said, but also Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. I didn't come to bring peace. Now, um, this is where I think that, like, uh, as I talked about last week, just it's so amazing or so wonderful that the Bible is so well uh, done that it it was meaningful to people who read it at the time. It was meaningful to people who read it now, and it will be meaningful to people who read it in the future. But also because of the harmon- harmonious way um, in which it it all works together. 
Like it doesn't um, in major and in, in most major areas. Uh, well, I'd say in every major areas, it doesn't contradict themselves. Now there are some parts that uh, feel a little bit more culturally aligned and uh, need a little bit more nuance uh, if you're going to study those. But so 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 this gentleman, um, not 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 anybody that I know, but. Uh, just someone who found the real uh, God's providence, I, I, I would imagine, uh, as everything is, and decided to to put that on there. I think, unfortunately for him, I think what he was saying was that this this idea of loving your enemies only goes so far. That that actually Jesus is only somewhat saying love your enemies until the point when you can't have peace. You you bring a sword. I, I think that's a little bit wrong uh, in the uh, the the understanding of that scripture because you can't just take a scripture out of context and, and to read it as, as speaking about towards enemies uh, is actually just very, very out of context. And so if you go back and you look at this, so if you can find this um, in, and he didn't actually explain what he meant by that. So maybe if, Hey, if you're listening, send me an email, tell me what you actually meant. I'm not going to argue with you on a Facebook post because I feel like that's where the internet goes to die. But, um, so I don't know actually what you meant by it, but I think you were saying in contrast to what I was saying about loving your enemies. So, uh, in Matthew 10, it says this, it says, uh, verse 34 is do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, okay, none of that, um, just just straight off the bat, none of that actually uh, nullifies Jesus' command to say that to love your enemies. Uh, none of that actually says anything about not loving your enemies. But what he's actually, so what he's talking about, and this is why I think it's so, it, it ties so well, um, God, I, I, God's providence, it just ties so well. Um, I started thinking about that because this guy put that comment on there, and so I was like, well, what does that mean? That does sound like it's uh, just a first brush of just reading that. It does sound that Jesus is advocating, could be advocating maybe for some some violence. He's got a sword. He's, he's, not, he's not bringing peace. What does that mean? And uh, later that day, um, I had a, a friend that I was, I asked how I could pray for him, and, and he had just mentioned that, um, yeah, he was dealing with being, uh, finding ways to please God rather than just please people. And a lot of times we, we, a lot of us, a lot of people struggle with that, that they want to be, they want to be pleasing to people. Um, and, but sometimes they find that at odds with, uh, pleasing God. And, and so I was, and so immediately I was, I was, I thought back to this verse because what Jesus is talking about, if you go back and read the whole chapter and the whole context, Jesus is sending out his disciples, um, and, and we have to remember again that Matthew was writing to a very Jewish audience and Jesus is sending out his disciples out into the world to tell people about the kingdom that's, that has come, the kingdom that has arrived, the kingdom that is here. And what, what Matthew by this time, because Jesus, because Matthew was thinking back to what Jesus would say and had said, and what Jesus knew was going to come, he tells us in John, he says, you're going to face persecution. And actually that's one of the things that the, the religious uh, experts hurled at him when, when he was brought before Pilate. He says, you know, he's stirring up the people um, because there was this, this whole, this whole big, and we'll get, get back to the context in a moment, I promise. But because there was this whole idea that the Messiah was going to come to Israel and restore its kingdom peace, the shalom. Uh, this, the shalom is this idea that this, the peace of God is going to rest on Israel. Um, and Jesus 
as the Messiah then um, has to kind of answer that. So like as a, as a as a Jew, if you if you have read, if you had been looking for the Messiah, you would have also been looking for the Shalom. The Shalom is going to arrive, and when the Shalom doesn't arrive with Jesus, um, some people are, would say, well. Is he really the Messiah? If if the Shalom has not arrived, well, what what we know is that um, for Christians and for for the disciples, that Jesus was talking um, about the the inner kingdom. Uh, he he was not super interested in setting up a outer kingdom. He wasn't going to, he wasn't setting up a country any longer. He was setting up a kingdom that lived in our hearts and he was going to sit on the throne of our hearts and he was going to be the king of every person who would ask him and invite him to be the king of their hearts. So, um, so, so what happens here is that he's sending out the disciples. So this is the context, back to the context. He's sending out the disciples and he's telling them to go to the cities, to preach the, the truth, to preach the kingdom has come. And he realized that what's going to happen is, is that as people go and preach this, the, the, res, the resistance is not going to come from um, the people who are not, who, who are not part of these, these members' families. The resistance is actually going to come from family members. Uh, and, and so you're going to even come back to like this idea where it says in the 10 commandments, you ought to honor your mother and your father. And yet here, um, these disciples are going out to, to preach this way, this kingdom way that seems different than what, um, the Jews had been doing. The kingdom of heaven is here. And, and Jesus understood that. What, what would happen then, much in our own communities, is that they would be rejected by their families. Jesus was, at least for a time. Uh, there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus' family comes to him. They say, come home. You know, you're going, <laughs> we think you've gone crazy. Uh, and Jesus goes, look around me. These are my brothers. Looks around me. These are my, you know, look around me. These are my sisters. These are my mom. This is my mom. These are my dad. Because... He had not gone crazy, but but he understood that that family relationship that that was going to be a place that was going to always be a struggle, and so following Jesus often brings conflict into family relationships, especially if you are not in a, a family that's full of Christians. But even still, following Jesus can bring that because um, we, as a family. We, as family units, as communities, we have the same kind of aspects of uniformity. And we, we actually have this idea in, in kind of embedded in us that the family is the most important thing. And so we say things like, like blood is thicker than water. And um, you're, not, you're not just my friend, you're my family. Meaning that it's something that this relationship is something different, different deeper and better um, than just a friendship. And so when, when you take something like Jesus saying, hey, you've got to love your enemies, um, and it might put uh, your family in difficult situations, dangerous situations, um, or just uncomfortable situations, then the family often would be like, hey, don't, why, why do you love that person? Why are you loving that person? And you're not um, doing enough for us. 
uh, or maybe they don't even say that, but, but as a, like, you're the provider, you're the dad, you're the, the husband. And you're like, Oh, I've got to do this for my family. got to take care of them. And so I can't use those resources for a stranger and, and not only just a stranger, but an enemy because I'm supposed to use them on my loved ones. And so uh, there's a tension that's created and Jesus is like, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be a tension. The, the peace that I have, the peace that passes understanding that rests on Christians that, that Paul talks about is not a peace that is a promise of that you always have tranquil relationships. Um, in fact, there is, there's parts of love. Uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, if you read through what love is, there's parts of love um, that, that are going to cause conflict within the family. Because it's, it's radical love, it's a radical idea, but it's like you, you're going to seek forgiveness, you're going to forgive, you're going to um, seek reconciliation, you're going to uh, hope for the best, you're going to hope, you're going to, you always, you'll always be patient, you're always going to wait. And, and a lot of times, especially in families, we just don't know how to deal with that because we want family to be different we want to say no this is a special unique relationship and it is but that just makes it harder because you we know that the people who hurt us who have the ability to hurt us the most are our families and 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 as you have uh, children uh, that, that grow up and they leave the family and they have to kind of kind of go off and form their own family units and, and they have all that, there, there is so often so much trouble and trauma and struggle because of this idea that they are becoming their own person, their own family. Um, I think one of the most unique things, the most uh, interesting things about being married uh, when, when I got married uh, was this molding together of two family traditions, both mine and my wife's. And, and I had my ways that my family did things and, and um, she had her ways that her family did things. And we didn't have any other lens that said really um, one was right or, or one was not. And so we began to learn, okay, well, Everybody does things a little different. Like even if we take something simple like vacation, or I mean, it's not super, super simple, but or, or like something simple like nightly dinners. Um, I grew up a coach's kid, so um, a lot of nights uh, my dad wasn't home. Um, I wasn't home. I was out with him playing sports and do those kind of things. And so we just didn't have like the every night we're going to have family dinner. Uh, uh my father-in-law was a lawyer and he worked till seven or eight o'clock at night. And so her and, and my, my uh, spouse is the youngest and, and um, much younger than, than her older, oldest sister. And um, so they didn't have that traditional, hey, we're going to sit down and have dinner. And so um, there's, there's, so we have to figure out our own traditions and ways that we're going to do that and not that either one is right or wrong um but but it can cause attention it causes attention and so um and and so what happens in for the disciples after jesus um dies on the cross and 40 days later he he raises from the dead three days later but 40 days later he, he goes back to heaven um almost immediately there's a persecution uh almost immediately um people begin the the jewish people begin to say you if you follow jesus you can't be in our community 
And, and it's just like what Jesus said. He said, I knew this was going to happen. I knew what was coming. I wanted you to be warned. I wanted you to be aware because you needed to know that this was going to happen. And so, I mean, we, 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 we don't think about this, but here's the deal. If you were a Christian, Paul or Saul at the time um, was part of a group that basically was, was there to, to hunt you out, hunt you down, and kill you. Um, I mean, that's what Saul was on a mission uh, to do that, to find Christians in these Jewish communities and, and kill them. And so it, it, it tore families apart. It had to have because um, they, you know, it's okay. One thing, it's okay to be like, oh, well, you believe some weird things. It's not okay um, if your belief is going to, I'm going to be associated with you. And so I may actually be kicked out of the Jewish community, or I might be killed myself, suddenly it's like, you got to go. Uh, you, follow, you can follow Jesus, that's fine, but you can't do it here. And so that's, what, that's, where, they, that's where early believers found themselves. They were, they were ostracized from their communities. They were, they were persecuted by the Romans because of their, these weird beliefs that they wouldn't bow down to, to Caesar, Caesar, Caesar as Lord. Um, and so... That's 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 what Jesus is talking about here. He says, at least at least some part, he's like, hey, just because you become a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that all of your relationships are going to be perfect and peaceful, and that you won't have any conflict. In fact, you're you're going to have more. And and he said, here's the deal. Hum, humans have sin. Humanity has sin. Relationships have sin. They're broken. We're always going to be broken. And we get better, and we can do better, and and we should do better. But they, they still live in this broken, fallen world, and they're not perfect yet. One day, they will be, but they're not yet. So he says, that, that exists. So, so know that that is going to exist. Um, but the important part here, and, and what, what Matthew 10 is really addressing is, is that if there's any relationship that you would choose to seek rather than your relationship with God then you got to get away from that. you got to stop it because it's God first. God first and then any other relationship. Your relationship with God comes first before any other relationship. Now, here's the thing. you got to love God and you got to love people. And so if you love God but you don't love people, then your love, your, your relationship with God, something's wrong, something's off, something's missed. If you, if you love people but don't love God, or if you allow the love of people you have to not serve God the way that God wants you to do that, then that's off. And so it's this, this combination. And so that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if anybody loves their mother more than me, it's not worthy of my love. Anybody that loves their father more than me, not worthy. Why? Because the first and main relationship, the first love, has to be to God. So love God and then love other people. And anything that gets in that way, if it's a relationship, if it's a desire to be loved, if it's a desire to be accepted, if 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 you say, oh, I want to be part of this community, but I have to give up or, or I can't do the things I need to do for Jesus, um, and you put that relationship first, then Jesus says you're 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 making a mistake, you're sinning because you the first relationship is always going to be God. And so that's why God, that's why Jesus, he says, there's two commandments, right? He says, what are the greatest commandments? It sums up the whole law. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But first, love God. God first, love him first, then love your neighbor as yourself. 
that has to be the way we orient our life. That has to be the way that we orient our life. That that what God thinks, what God, God, relationship to God is our number one priority. And then how we treat each how we treat those around us will reflect our relationship with God. So uniformity a lot of times just allows us to reflect the 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 idea or the picture of what it looks like to have a relationship with God without actually doing the work of that relationship or that relationship with other people. But it's it's whitewashed tombs. It's it's pretty on the outside and it's dead on the inside. So this week, think about this. How is it how how are my relationships? How 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 are my uh, how are my relationships going? Am I loving God? first and others second and does my treat uh, does how i treat my my family so my my coworkers uh, the people i interact with my enemies does it reflect that relationship i have with god or secondly am i so concerned about my relationship status on this earth with people's organizations churches jobs that I've neglected my first love, which is God. And I need to get back there. Whatever, wherever you may find yourself, this is something we all can work on. To love God with all that we have. And then to love others. That's what we're called to do. Jesus doesn't uh, call us to have a sword he, he, he wants us to know that peace is not the goal. Um, it's peace is something that he'll give and he'll bring, but, but not at the cost of not loving him. You can have peace, but not God. Then that's not, that's, that's dangerous because God's like, because Jesus is like, don't, don't go that route. Says so you, you, you love me first. And, and you allow that relationship to influence and, and d- direct every other relationship. So that's the challenge. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that will take care of the whole law. If you truly love God, it will be like, how God, how God, how can I get closer to you? How can I be more like the person you want me to be? And then how can I serve those around me? How can I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I love my uh, family more? How can I can I live for my family for through in this, the way that God you're calling me? How can I live for the people that I just meet? How can I live for the people that persecute me, my enemies, the people who I don't have a great relationship with? How do I do that? So that's the prayer that God would reveal that to us this week, and that we wouldn't dream of a sword and the violence that that represents, but rather that we would dream of the peace that only God can bring, that peace that passes understanding, and that it would rest on us because if we love God and we've turned our eyes and we've turned our whole, oriented our whole life towards that, and then that love just fills out into our whole entire family, our whole entire relationships. We love God, love people's. That's the challenge. That's my prayer this week. I hope you pray the same thing, and I hope that you see that and are able to accomplish that. God bless.